welcome back to the Leadership Podcast with Sim Dendy. It is great to have you with us for season number two. This season, we are exploring social justice and leadership. How do we lead consistently in a world that is inconsistent and unfair? As Christian leaders, how do we make a difference to the very people we are serving? We're going to explore this and much more over the next few episodes. And can I say this right at the very top? Don't forget that however you listen, to subscribe now so you will automatically get all of the future episodes. And, and if this content is helpful to you, can I please ask you, share, rate, review, you know how it works. If it's helpful to you, it'll be helpful to others as well. Remember, we have loads of extra content on our website, theleadershippodcast.uk. Well, that's enough from me, but here we go. A new season, new guests for you to listen to and learn from. First up, we have Mike Royal, who is recognized as one of the top black male Christian leaders making an impact and having an influence in the UK. Mike is the co-chief executive of Cinema Network UK, a charity that helps churches with their community engagement, as well as a founding trustee of Transforming Lives for Good, where he pioneered the education centers for young people at risk of exclusion from school. Mike is an inspirational leader, a speaker, activist, social entrepreneur, policy advisor, and a passionate communicator on issues of racial justice, children and young people, education exclusion, and how churches can better engage in the issue of social justice. Mike has a first-class honours degree in urban planning and a master's degree in black theology from the University of Birmingham. Mike lives in Birmingham, UK, and he is happily married to Vivian for over 28 years. Mike was consecrated as a Pentecostal bishop in 2016, having been ordained as a pastor many years earlier. He also spends a few hours a week working as a mental health chaplain to keep his feet firmly grounded in reality. So thank you so much, Mike, for joining us today on the Leadership Podcast. Great to be here. Thank you so much. And before, I mean, we've got loads of different things we could talk about. You've got a long list of achievements and various awards that we could talk about. But I would love to start uh, by talking about how it all began. I would like to go back. I'm not some sort of psychologist. I'd like to talk about your childhood. I want to hear about your growing up story, the, your school, the kind of where you, you kind of life made sense for you. Can you tell us a bit about where you're from and your upbringing and family? Yes, certainly. So um, I was born and brought up in the suburbs of London in a place called Purley, which is the south side of Croydon. Um, I am second generation Windrush. So my parents um, came from Jamaica in the 1950s, um, settled in Clapham, and um, very quickly moved out to the suburbs of London. My father was a deputy head teacher and my mother a homemaker. Um, and so from a very early age, um, education was very important in our family. Um, the expectations were high. And as you'll hear a little bit later, I think that's some of the reason why getting involved in TLG and the educational work with people who were disadvantaged um, was so important to me because 
I myself grew up in a family where education was valued and I was given every opportunity. Yeah. I know the Pearly Way. Uh, I think we used to go to Ikea that was based there at the top of the road there in Croydon. Um, and, but you ended up in Birmingham. So, so what was the move uh, to go north from, from south of London? Yes. Um, uh, and, and so I you know, sort of grew up, um, uh, you know, just as many people do, you go to university. Um, and um, I, I got called into ministry actually um, very quickly um, after um, getting married, um, so literally eight months, and suddenly we got a phone call, and it was a phone call, um, uh, we would like to offer you a, um, a, a ministry position, and it was in West Yorkshire, near Bradford, um, in a place called Keefley, um, a sort of a white working class um, sort of a town that had been sort of deindustrialized kind of in the 70s and 80s. So, so there was a fair amount of, 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 of deprivation um, there. Um, and so from these sort of being these buppies in London, young black up and coming people, we moved um, to, to, to West Yorkshire, uh, spent 10 years of ministry there. I was national youth um, leader um, with one of the mainline Pentecostal denominations um, and uh, in 2003 for a number of years I've always felt a call to Birmingham took a decision to move to Birmingham spent a couple of years um, in an AOG church here in Birmingham and at that point uh, TLG really took off and we took a decision to go nationally and, and then I really switched from church ministry uh, much more into um, social action and social justice based ministry. And, and we will get on to that. But I guess I'm also intrigued going, hey, I'm thinking eight months into being married to suddenly kind of you know, up sticks and go, we're going into ministry, that there's a conversation. Um, so obviously your Christian faith was really important to you. Uh, was, was that part of your family upbringing? Was that something that you always knew? Yes, yeah. I, I mean, uh, we, we were born and brought up in the church, but I came to faith um, at about 14 years old. Um, I just came to a point of personal crisis where I realised my life could go in two directions. One, um, you know, the, you know, the narrow way uh, and the other, you know, could have really been a way of destruction. I, 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 I had that in me. <laughs> I was an alpha male, I'm an alpha male. I just know what I could have been um, if it wasn't for the Lord grabbing hold of me. I, I think the other thing I would just say, I, I um, lost uh, both of my parents to cancer um, in my late teens. And so that impacted my faith in quite a big way. Um, there was a moment of faith crisis um, and the scripture that comes to me is that scripture that says when your mother and father forsake you, then the Lord bears, bear you up. And of course, my parents didn't forsake me. They, 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 they passed away within a year of each other um, through cancer. So um, that wasn't their fault. Um, but, you know, either I would you know, run away from God and do a Jonah or run into the arms of, of God. And, and, and I ran into the arms of God and... Um, you know, the Lord has been faithful. Yeah, well, I'm certainly glad that you chose that path for your sake, for your family's sake and for the people you've impacted their lives. 
Um, one of my questions I always like to ask people is when was that, was there ever a moment where for you, you felt like, yeah, I need to step up as a leader. I need to make a difference. You felt a sense of either calling some people might call it or just a, a sort of burning kind of, I've got to, I've got, I've got to do something about this. You know, this is kind of, I can't just be on the sidelines or watch. I need to participate and, and give some leadership here. Um, you know, when, yeah. when was that for you? Yeah, I think about 17. I think sort of by 16 and a half, 17, I really did feel a sense of call to, to leadership and ministry, um, but continue with my education. Um, um, actually, I'm an urban planner by background um, and, and worked um, actually in the public participation side of planning um, for a couple of years before coming into ministry. Um, so, so that's my, my, my professional background, um, which is actually quite useful. Um, for the area of work that I now work in, um, which is all about churches engaging with their communities. So, yeah, 17, I think, was that point. Wow, that that is young. I love the fact that you just had a clarity and and obviously a very turbulent teenage years all you shared with your parents and, and you know, a turbulent time being a teenager full stop and all yeah. those sort of things happening as well. But obviously it defined who you are and who you're becoming. You know, one of the reasons I really wanted to get you onto this podcast, Mike, was because I know your heart around social justice. And I love the fact, as a, for me, as a, as a church guy who just loves the church and, and believe it's the bride of Christ and wants to bring transformation to our world. You're somebody who, when I was growing up, social justice happened outside of the church. And it was almost like, you know, we talk about parachurch organizations. They were good, but they weren't part of the church. And then people like yourself and others came along and said, actually, could we engage the church? in social justice could we actually use you know the kind of the the, the great community of of the people of god to actually bring a difference and, and so we brought it this, this is a topic for our season on the leadership podcast and i just want to ask you a few questions because there's this school of thought that justice is the message of jesus christ he was here to bring change and transformation but i know other churches have said well you know if we're not careful we'll end up busy doing good things and we won't tell the gospel you know this almost this kind of social gospel, the theology of, of loving our neighbor, but not really focusing on the good news or the gospel message. We're just doing, we're being kind, or somebody once put it, we're sending people happy to hell, um, bit of extreme version. But, you know, what are your thoughts on, on that? How do we, you know, do the Jesus thing in the right way, but still make sure that the gospel message is central to all that we are doing? Yeah, um, and, and, and so for me, um, I've never bought into the pie in the sky kind of when we die kind of religion. Um, I want some meat on the plate while we wait. Sorry for those who are vegans or vegetarians. Um, but um, certainly in the black church tradition, um, we have not had the luxury of, um, of an afterworld kind of view when the history of the last 400 years of oppression, of slavery, of colonialism, um, has been so much part of our story. Um, when we read the scripture, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Um, that literally um, is freedom not just from personal sin, but it's freedom from the sinful structures that seek to chain people and to hold 
people down. And I was very politically engaged before I became a Christian, very influenced, you know, by, you know, music genres like the ska movement, the reggae movement, which were very strong um, social and political messages. And I never lost that when I came to faith. Um, and, um, and so for me, I've always carried that with me. The difference is, is that when I came to faith, suddenly there was hope. And suddenly I could read the Bible um, and read it knowing that there was hope in Christ that justice can be realised by people, not only in the after world, but in the here and now. Wow. That, that honestly, Mark, that's a phenomenal answer. And I think, you know, like you said about perspectives there, we come from different perspectives. And, and I've never seen that view because I haven't had, obviously, your experience where you're saying we didn't have almost that, you know, experience of, 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 of the, the option even of, of choosing to see things differently. And I've never heard the phrase meat on the plate while we wait, but I won't ever forget it either. And, and I think that's such a helpful comment that we, we, we don't have that luxury almost when you've only ever known a certain kind of oppression, I guess, within a culture. And, and yes, yeah, so maybe I've never really understood that in that sort of way. Uh, I love the fact that you've, you know, you <laughs> refer to ska music as one of your influences. I'm, I, you know, I was probably similar into that kind of genre, but I never really appreciate I was being influenced. I just thought it was quite funky, cool music. Um, but it, it sent you off and helped you, you know, and I know you're incredible things. And, you know, you mentioned TLG earlier. Um, you know, for those who aren't aware of, of TLG, uh, it'd be great to give us a little bit of a, you know, an overview. I appreciate we've got Tim Morphin going to come on this program later on. We don't take away all of his stories, but you were very significant at the beginning of that uh, journey. So tell us a bit about TLG and particularly about your part in pioneering the education centres. Yeah, no, so I will do that. And, and there's a real sense of call, the call of God kind of on that. And I, I can remember when I was a uh, national um, a youth leader um, uh, in, in, in the Apostolic Church Pentecostal denomination. And I, I was uh, representing the denomination across Europe. And at a time I was in, um, I was in Denmark and um, actually one of the Kansas City prophets um, who were all the rage then uh, was speaking. And, uh, and I, there was one evening when I wasn't speaking to the young people. And so I decided, well, let me just go, go along and hear them. And um, you know, and, and he pointed me out in the crowd. Now, I don't know whether it was because I was the only black person amongst these blonde haired, blue eyed um, Danes, um, but he, he said education. I see education, I see thousands of young people. And at that point, we had just started TLG, but it was really a small part of, of what it was about. I had no idea that it would grow and, and so it, 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 it you know initially I was a trustee and then I was chair of trustees but around about 2004 2005 we took a decision that we knew that um, educational exclusion wasn't just something that kids in you know Bradford were suffering but this was something that was impacting kids around the country and um and so myself as chair and Tim as chief exec, we, we began to interview a couple of people and we just couldn't find the right person. 
And honestly, Tim just turned to me and said, Mike, I think you'd be great. And the rest is history. <laughs> and um, so we launched our first uh, centre outside of Bradford um, in Birmingham in partnership with the Salvation Army in 2007. Next stop was, um, was, was South London, then Manchester. Um, and then over the next 11 years, I opened, um, I think it's about 14 or 15 alternative education centres, um, 12 of which um, are, um, are still uh, part of the TLG uh, family, a couple of which have gone independent now, but only a couple have closed. So um, it's been a, a great joy um, up until 2016 um, to be part of of the exec team leading alongside Tim. Amazing. And I know there's so much more. I loved, I've read the TLG book and it's a great story of how you guys started just from doing what you did on your doorsteps and seeing it progress into a national. And I know every time, you know, there's a, there's a general election, all the politicians love to come visit and see what you do and get pictures taken uh, on your, on your sites and see what's happening. And, and I guess part of the TLG journey was also around cinema network. You started getting into partnership with cinema network and, um, and eventually you became a co-chair Oh, sorry, co-chief exec, apologies, of Cinema Network. And again, not everyone will know what that means, but for me, that's been a, a substantial organisation helping the local church get engaged in social justice. For those who aren't aware, could you tell us a little bit about uh, Cinema Network, if you can, briefly? Because it's this massive kind of almost collection, isn't it, really? Yeah, and, and so the purpose of, of Cinema Network, so www.cinemanetwork.co.uk, is to really help churches um, with their community engagement. Uh, and, um, and we do that in two ways. Um, we have advisors who offer support and advice um, and at times some seed funding um, for churches, firstly to do community development really well with their communities, to potentially be part of a learning community. But we know we offer training and webinars just to help them to think through the the wide variety of themes that churches are having to engage with as they seek to uh, meet the needs of people kind of in their local communities. But secondly, alongside that, we're really interested in incubating new ideas. Um, and so we run something called an incubator. Um, and we have a number of projects that are 14 at the moment who are going through an incubation process, which is a two year um, long uh, mentoring, coaching um, and training um, program, which is actually funded um, by some of our funders. And at the end of it, we hope that those models um, of transformation um, will be models that um, our organisations ready to partner um, with um, local churches in the same way some of our, our existing recommended projects are um, and some of the ones we recommend you know are you know street pastors, um, street angels, uh, um, Christians Against Poverty of course we've already spoken about CLG, Who Let the Dads Out um, uh, and then some of our newer ones um, uh, are you know Renew Wellbeing, um, um, uh, TLG Mate Lunch is another one. Um, uh, Healthy Churches Initiative, Food for Purpose, which is 
you know, black um, uh, health and well-being in the black community. It's just been tremendous to be part of that, really. And, and as a, a user of Simmer Networks uh, services, I mean, we've partnered a few times with you as a local church, the one I lead. You know, we've we've set up a CAP debt centre, CAP life skills. Uh, we've got TLG, uh, early intervention. Um, and, you know, we're sort of collecting all these various trust with trust food bank. And so we, you know, I'm a big fan because for me, what you guys have done is you, you've, you've raised the bar of standard. And there was a time back in the day when I started doing social justice projects in my church as a teenager, you know, anything would do. We would just, you know, turn up to poor buildings with poor systems, you know, any volunteer would do. I mean, safeguarding wasn't even a conversation. Uh, volunteering vetting just didn't, you know, I mean, it sounds terrible. We look back, but, you know, we're talking over 25 years probably or more ago. And, and I look back and I think, oh, we didn't do things very well, but that's just what you did. You know, you did you run mums and toddler play groups and it was just literally a few toys thrown in the middle of the floor and hope you worked it out. And now with people like Cinema Network, you said, no, we need to up our standard. And, and I love the fact the incubation process is so serious that you know that if it's a Cinema Network project, the church can be confident this is a really good project to get involved with and you're joining in with loads of others. I mean, I was just in the, the CAP National Gathering this morning you know, and they've got hundreds of centres all around the UK, all around the world, in fact, now, uh, because of People's Cinema Network helping to almost, I guess, franchise um, social justice projects, but help keep the standard really high. I, I, sorry, every mic. Yeah, it's been a great privilege to, 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 to journey with some of these incredible organisations. And I... And um, and just to encourage churches, really, as you've said earlier, don't reinvent the wheel. There's great practice out there. And, and I think more recently to actually, you know, incubate new ideas and help them to become the next street passers, the next caps, etc. Um, it's just been a real thrill to see. Amazing. And so for those listening, if you want to get involved, your church needs some help, but then they can go to cinemanetwork.co.uk and we'll put all this stuff on our Leaders Hub website, um, on the website. But also if you've got an idea, maybe you're running something, your church that you think could be, um, you know, uh, replicated in other places, then I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. And the new thing I came across the other day was your Cinnamon Connect, which is like LinkedIn for church social justice projects. Is that a fair yeah. comment? <laughs> like way to it. describe it. Uh, so this is a great place you can go to just google up cinnamon connect and um, you can put your information on there and we can then share resources and share awareness of each other's projects is that about right yes absolutely so we were funded to create a toolkit um for um for churches church activists and church leaders um really just to help them um to to navigate all the challenges of engaging community well, and to create a bit of a, an, an online um, forum, um, community, if you like, um, that can share good practice. Um, so yeah, www.cinnamonconnect.co.uk. Love you to join. Um, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's free to join um, um, there for some of our more complex um, tools um, there is a, a, a paywall um, but but most of it's free yeah 
brilliant. And I could, I could fully endorse and encourage people to get involved with that. I think the more we share, I think COVID has definitely helped churches realize we're better together than by ourselves. And if we can just help one another, support each other, we're here for the big picture, the kingdom of God, not for just our own little backyard. And if we can help support others, I mean, that'd be great. So thank you for helping us do that, Mike, in your work with Cinema Network. I'm out of I mean, a bit away from this, and this is an area I'd like to talk about because I know it's really important to you, but I want to be really uh, sensitive how I bring this conversation to play because for you as someone who has led the way for many years in social justice, um, you know, last year when, in May 2020, when we saw the news of George Floyd in Minnesota and um, the death of him at the hands of the, the police officer there, we all know that story. And there's that uprising of like, this is not acceptable. This should never be happening in today's society. And it wasn't just an American thing. It happened all around the world. And I know you personally, you know, you led the way. I know you invited me to join ministers from across churches to join you in a prayer vigil in London and, and subsequently online forums. Um, you know, could you tell us a bit about that moment and your response to what you heard and what you saw? And, and what was it that made you realize this was something you couldn't just flick past on the news you had to do something and and bring some change yeah i believe 2020 globally was the most important year in terms of racial justice probably since 1968 and i was born in 1968 um and for me my reaction was threefold firstly i needed to deal with the trauma that I was feeling as a black person, um, seeing, um, viewing, we were all in lockdown. So we were all fixed to our TVs and we all saw, you know, a policeman who was paid to protect the community kneeling on a man's neck until his life was snuffed out. But then I realized that there were a lot of people, particularly in the black community, but not only in the black community, who were traumatized. Um, and, and they were traumatized in two ways, traumatized by what they saw, but traumatized by the fact that it brought back into sharp focus all the pain of microaggression and aggression that black people face on a daily basis. And those people needed pastoral care. So on one hand, you're dealing with the trauma yourself. On the other hand, you're needed to bring pastoral care to the black community in particular. And then thirdly, the need for prophetic voices. And, and that actually, it was a moment where I felt, you know, I needed to stand up. I think it was always um, also a moment for me where I took a decision that for the rest of my life, I was going, that, that racial justice um, and the church was going to be a significant part of my ministry. And those, so those three things together, a prophetic voice, dealing with the trauma yourself and the pastoral care of the community were my three responses. Yeah, wow. I mean, it's such a big subject, Mike, and I don't want to. I don't want to dismiss it. In fact, one of my concerns is, um, you know, that, that that happened last year, and many people put comments on their social media, you know, 
people put black squares on their Instagram page. And it was almost like for some, I, I wouldn't want to say this is for all, but for some, it was almost like, that's it. We've done racial injustice has been sorted through my one post, through my one comment. And I'm just a bit concerned. And I look back at the year before we had the Me Too movement and similar response. There's a spike in kind of interest and it disappears. And this year we have a, a refugee crisis in Afghanistan and there's a spike in kind of, and I'm really concerned about, you know, that what happened, in, like you say, it was a significant moment that what doesn't happen is becomes a little kind of, I don't know, blip in everyone's kind of news cycle that we go, yeah, that was the year we kind of fixed it. Because like many people this year, we watched England play football in the final of Euros 2020. The the football players, not just the black players, all the players knelt in, in support of racial justice and there was booing in the stadiums. And I found myself really conflicted going, what just happened? You know, we're almost a year later and we've still got this and all the stuff with, you know, then when the, the young football players, you know, missed a penalty, which I've been around supporting England long enough, and it's not just black people that miss penalties. It's, you know, and yet Marcus Rashford's picture gets all like, you know, wrecked. And and this, I'm like, what is going on in our nation that this is still a converse, you know, that, wow. I mean, have you got any comments about all of those things I've just thrown at you there? Yeah, uh, it's, it's very interesting because I think the backdrop to you know, Euro 2020, which happened, of course, in 2021, um, was, was that, you know, we had the, the, the Saul report um, from the government that basically gaslight black people and used black people to gaslight other black people um, to, to actually believe that, you know, racism wasn't such a big problem. And then literally a couple of months later, you know, um, three penalties are missed. By the way, Italy missed two as well, but that's forgotten. Um, and secondly, we're dealing with the second most successful English football team of all time. Yep. And that's the context. Um, and because three penalties were missed, those three players received um, a reprehensible um, online um, racial abuse. And all the way through that, the, the players had been taking the knee. And it's very interesting, isn't it? I, I sometimes say, and I say this often to, 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 to church leaders, it's interesting that, 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 that footballers get this, but, but church leaders don't. But actually, footballers, we know we talk about persecution. The footballers are willing, knowing that they're probably going to get booed, to go and take a knee as a stand against racism, are willing to push through that barrier of rejection. And yet, sometimes we as Christians just want to move on to the next thing. Yeah. And um, I'm quite, quite struck by that. But but also then just quite, um, just quite inspired by our footballers. And, and I know particularly the three black players involved, um, I know certainly two of those players have very strong um, Christian faith background. Um, and that will have stood them in good stead. But I love the fact 
But actually, what that confirmed is, is that we still have plenty of work to do and that this isn't just a moment where it's going to go away. We need people who are going to stand as allies to our community. We need organisations who are going to be willing to do audits and we need attitudes to change. And we know attitudes don't change overnight. No, these things do take years, if not generations, to change, you know, mindsets. And, you know, I've got memories being being a young football fan and some of the things, disgraceful things happened when I was, you know, watching for in the 80s. I thought that'd gone. And then here we are with a different version, but it still exists. It's under the surface sometimes. But we saw that come out during the, the Euros that time. I, I guess, you know, how, how do we respond? And I'm, I'm very aware that I'm sitting here as a, as a, as a white guy. Uh, that leads a majority white church, but we we do have a, a larger percentage of diversity than the, the town we serve. Um, but I'm also aware I've got a lot of friends who lead churches that tend to be one colour or another. How do we create diversity in the church world? You know, if we we can talk about it, that's almost that's easy. But how do we put it into practice? How do we actually make uh, different uh, ethnic groups, not just minorities or different, you know, countries, but just different people from different backgrounds, just feel at home in our families. Um, you know, when when we we like to, we talk diverse, but we don't always actual act diverse. We don't create welcoming spaces, and especially with things like the Hong Kong, you know, community coming over into you know the UK, uh, the Afghanistani community coming into the UK. You know, this is not just black white this is about multi uh, races how do we be a welcoming nation you know and yeah we, we could go on a long time here, yeah. right? but, but any any advice for those of us who are listening going i'd love us to be more diverse how do we take those first baby steps into making sure this is not an ongoing conversation we we've got to, we've got to create spaces where where dialogue can happen and where people can listen my encouragement to people would be why not follow some some voices, some black voices that you haven't followed before. There are some great people speaking into this area online. I think of people like Robert Beckford, Anthony Reddy. I think of people like Janelle Aldridge, Selena Stone. You know, these are, these are people who are speaking in to the whole area of racial justice. You can follow these people um, on social social media so we've got to open our ears to voices that we haven't heard before we've got to create safe spaces where people can speak honestly whether that's online one of the things we did you know yes we you know did a prayer visual and a march um, from parliament square um, we took the knee at parliament square and prayed and then marched past 10 downers street to trafalgar square but we also created a ministerial color um Facebook group um, where we have continued to dialogue around issues of racial justice and justice more, more generally. So we need to create these spaces because these spaces will help to, to educate us. I think the key thing in local churches is this, is that what you need to understand is the tendency is for black and ethnic minority people to internalize the pain of um, racial injustice. So actually, we just don't want to talk about it because it's too painful. Um, and, and so actually, when a church says, 
we know this is an issue and we're seeking to address that issue. And they do that in a sensitive way. You know, it's a, a sigh of relief for those who, who, who've just sort of silently kind of suffered. And so, you know, we do, we, you know, you know, and there's, you know, there's courses now being created. Um, there are courses that we can go on that address these issues. We've got to educate ourselves. And I want to say this, it is not black people's responsibility to educate white people on a problem that actually is of their making because racism is a, is a European colonial construct that was built so that the empire could take over the world and subjugate other people. And what we're doing right now is deconstructing that. But more importantly, what we're also having to do is pull Christianity out of that evil system. Because I've been to Ghana, I've stood at Cape Coast Castle and seen the church in that slave castle where people were worshipping and praising God above and underneath the church were slaves ready to be sent through the door of no return. Most of them died in the Black Atlantic. The few who got to the Caribbean and America faced the most unimaginable um, ignominy you could even think of. My, this is this is obviously a, a huge subject, and I, I I really appreciate you being so clear with us. That's really helpful, and I think for those listening, we'll put some stuff on the website so people can follow links. The idea of listening to other voices, I think, is really powerful. I think when we all sit in our own echo chambers and assume, you know, I heard someone say to me the reason that you know people were booing the football players is, is because they're supporting a political aim of the BLM. And I'm thinking none of those footballers are taking a knee because of any political thing. They just think it's wrong. They just think we're being, you know, unkind to humanity. There's not a political badge or anything. This is just about how we treat our brothers and sisters. That's all that's going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. And, and let's just understand what taking the knee is all about. Um, so, so the BLM thing is, is and, and, that it's, you know, um, that it's a political move. It's a red herring, actually. Um, um, you know, we understand that there is BLM, the organisation, which is a political organisation. But actually, Black Lives Matter is a movement and a principle. So, you know, we, we, we can do nuance. We're not stupid. So let's not pretend that we're stupid. OK, okay. Um, so so we can do that nuance. But secondly, um, also taking the knee goes right back to the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King took the knee. They used to take the knee when they were on their marches um, against segregation. Um, in uh, in America, so its roots are Christian. The challenge, and I think particularly in this country for evangelicals, is 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 that uh, we we do not have a strong tradition around justice, and so this is new to us and uncomfortable for us. But actually, sometimes faith is uncomfortable. Stay with it and the Lord will open our eyes and open our hearts to fully understand what's going on. 
That, that is a really great way of bringing this together. The idea of this discomfort is actually really important. I think sometimes we often just tend to drift to the bit that's easiest, you know, and as leaders, we can be guilty of that going, well, this is just easier for me. But sometimes these things are worth uncovering. It's worth the pain, um, you know, and I, and I would encourage people listening to kind of, you know, like I said, listen to other people, read different books. I mean, I've just been I'm middle of reading Reading Wild Black by Macaulay, and that's blown my mind because suddenly you realize how I've read scripture is through a particular set of, you know, eyes that, you know, of course it is because that's how I've been brought up and, and my experience. But there is another way of seeing things. There's, in fact, there's a few billion different ways of seeing things. And, and it helps when we hear other voices and we get into conversations like this and we understand one another better through dialogue, um, not through, you know, pithy slogans or, you know, little moments, but through real honest community and relationship with people that come from different backgrounds to ourselves. It's so powerful. Um, and, Mark, and, and if I could just, just, hmm. just say one thing on the back of that, you know, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a Pentecostal. I, I'm an evangelical, you know, I, I sit on the Evangelical Alliance Council. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm committed to evangelicalism. But I, I will just say this, this is that evangelicalism is very, very good around our personal faith in Jesus Christ. Where it is weak in its theology is the systemic nature of how sin impacts people. And that's why it's important to read beyond evangelicalism and look at some of the liberation theologies um, and the other theologies um, that help us to understand that stuff, but also help us to decouple our faith, the faith that we love from some of the colonial constructs that actually are, uh, um, are about dehumanizing people and actually um, questioning whether they bear the image of God, you know, and, 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 and that's, what, that's what Empire did. It, it really kind of questioned whether black people bore the image of God. And actually we do have a job to do to decouple our faith from some of that thinking. And if we don't, then sadly, what we'll be left with is a faith where people say, well, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I'm not interested. Yeah. Yeah. Our faith isn't real if it doesn't really change the way we live on a day by day basis. Mike, thank you so much. Uh, I want to carry you on uh, further with this conversation. Is there any final piece of advice for those Christian leaders listening? We, we say on this program that, you know, we know when a leader gets better, everybody wins. It really makes a difference to our families, our communities, and we improve as leaders. Is there a final piece of advice you can give about leading and tackling social justice? Yeah, I, I, I would just say that particularly the younger people and the millennials in your congregation. These are important topics. And actually, they are really coming to understand um, these topics and lean into these topics in a big, big way. And it's really important that you give careful attention to them too. Because if you don't, then, then ultimately we, we, will, we will lose them. Yeah. Mike, thank you so much for your time today. We've really enjoyed having you and having the conversation together. Thank you.
Well, I loved that conversation with Mike Royal and especially the way he spoke so passionately about the challenge of bringing change, particularly in the area of social justice. I know for me personally, that challenge of what are we reading? Who are we listening to? Who are we following on our social media platforms and engaging with? And I'm personally going to go from here and reflect upon the sort of people that I'm listening to to make sure that I'm hearing the different voices, the range of voices that can help us understand one another so much better. Well, there's loads to talk about in this episode. That's just a small piece of it. But if you have a question about anything that Mike has shared today, please do let me know. I'd love to bring that into our next conversation on our leadership lessons. So it just leaves me to say thank you so much for joining the Leadership Podcast today with me, Sim Dendy. I hope this has helped serve you in your leadership because we know that when the leader gets better, everyone wins. <laughs>